Joining me on the show today is actor and comedian Tom Price. As well as performing at the Edinburgh Festival, Tom is best known for starring in shows such as Torchwood, Tourist Trap and Stella. Growing up, I watched quite a lot of Tom Price on telly, so it was a very special and enjoyable interview for me. There's this American gun guy. Yeah, he goes, sir, I can just show you this, this and here. Okay, and you're like, okay, great. Thanks for showing me the gun. And I'd flown all the way to LA. I had a day to recover and then I had to just walk on set, do this a bit, see a guy go, shoot him, then get on a plane and fly home. Amazing. Welcome to the Schofield Stories podcast. Unmasking masculinity and mental health. Join me, Calm Schofield, as I work to strike the stigma surrounding men suffering from mental health. Every episode, a new inspiring guest will share his story. And this episode is no different. Welcome to the Schofield Stories. Let's get started. This is Schofield Stories, and joining me today is actor and comedian Tom Price. Welcome to the show. Hello, uh, the Schofield Stories. What a pleasure it is to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. So why don't we start? Briefly talk about your background a little bit, as even though you sound posh, you're Welsh. <laughs> I've got this weird, this weird hybrid, man. I'm the, I'm the Prius, the Toyota Prius. I've got a little bit of diesel and a little bit of battery, Callum. So um, I am from Monmouth, yeah, so it's a, this really posh town right on the border, if you don't know it. Um, it's, like, it's like Hereford without a McDonald's, that's essentially what <laughs> Monmouth is. Um, and I mean, it's yards from the border where I grew up, like you could, you could walk to England if you so chose. Um, and I, you know, I really felt Welsh growing up, I felt like I was just um, supporting Wales in the rugby and, and not so much in the football because in the 90s that wasn't really a thing. Although we did beat Germany once, um, <laughs> once, yeah, on the once, and um, and then when I left Monmouth, when I got to eighteen, I went to uni, and then I went out with a girl from Blackwood, and I saw other bits of Wales. I was like, oh, Monmouth isn't Wales at all. And then I did a show for Radio Wales uh, last year called Long Division, where me and Kerry Pritchard McLean um, swapped our hometowns. We we gave each other a tour around our hometowns. She's from Anglesey, and obviously I'm from Monmouth. And going around Anglesey, Welsh flags, Welsh speakers, um, much, just a much stronger sense of itself as being a Welsh town. And then she came to Monmouth and she was like, this is just like an English village. And it hadn't really occurred to me before then. Um, so, yeah, so I do, you know, it is, it's a funny old place to grow up. You're on the fence. You know, I literally grew up on a fence. <laughs> That's brilliant. And what was your upbringing childhood like? Was it always an ambition to be who you are today or did this come as a shock somewhere along the way <laughs> it suddenly occurred to me it came to me in a dream Callum um <laughs> a nightmare no no, no it, it, it's what I always wanted to do man I mean I I had I was the youngest of three boys and have you got siblings yes I have got a younger brother yes yeah okay but the youngest of three by by eight and ten years. So they're eight and ten years older than me, these brothers. Oh. Um, which, you know, makes me attention-seeking, um, an accident. Um, the pet, and now as a dad myself, I, I see it. You know, I've got two kids. And when I'm looking after my second kid and I'm doing the things with him, like playing certain games or getting into certain Lego things or watching certain shows... And I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember doing this with your brother. And I still love doing it. But if I did it again for a third time, I'd be like, oh, I can't be bothered to do this again. <laughs> so, so now I get it. Now I get it. Being a third child, you do just have to fit in. And, and you do become a loudmouth and a show-off because you're attention-seeking. So I was always an attention-seeker as a kid. I loved the theatre as a kid. I, loved, I remember my dad bringing me up. My dad lived in London, worked in London. And he'd commute back to Monmouth on the weekends. And every now and again, I'd, I'd come up London and I'd, I'd go and watch shows. And I was completely um, just captured by it from the age of, from the age of like five, Callum. Like it was just an actor to write. I was always making up games. I was always doing shows at home. All of those things um, were just, it was just hard baked, I'm afraid. So, so to cut a long story short, I was a nightmare child to look after because I was so needy. <laughs> well, that's brilliant already. I'm 
enjoying it. And as, as you got older, did you get more serious about wanting to do art and serious um, about um, putting on shows and all this? Yeah, I certainly got more focused. And I mean, it's hard to think of it as being a serious thing. It's just, it's like, just like something I knew I wanted to do. Like, how serious are you about having your dinner tonight? How serious are you about um, uh, going for a bike ride? assuming you don't injure yourself this time you go I'm, I'm looking at you now yeah. and i can see your your broken <laughs> collarbone yeah. um your listeners need to know how much you've suffered to uh to, to bring us this podcast today yeah. um you know i wouldn't say i was serious about it i just knew that's what i was going to do you know what i mean yeah. i just knew it so so when i got to 13 14 i could start to take the reins of my life a bit and plan shows put on shows at school with my mates at school um and then plan going to drama school and i wasn't that good as well that's the, that's another thing worse <laughs> Yeah. worth mentioning i don't think i was i don't think i got good until i was like 21 22 23 um i i yeah I, I just wanted to do it without really thinking about could i do it yeah that's really is that a modesty thing though or did you really think you weren't <laughs> that good <laughs> listen there were there were well this comes back to how seriously you take it there were people at my school there's an actor called dan starkey for example who is in doctor who um, who's uh, he played? I've forgotten the name of the character. Um, a couple of series ago, he's, he's a monster with the crazy big round face. Oh, I should try and remember it. Um, anyway, your, all your listeners will be screaming at the podcast now. Anyway, Dan Starkey was at my school and he took it very seriously into very serious acting and he would do very serious Shakespearean roles and very, very, um, you know, roles with integrity and, and, and um, theatricality. Whereas I was always more flippant. I'm a very flippant person. I'm very, um, I think life is just ridiculous and I don't take myself very seriously. And as a result, that can be picked up on by people like teachers. When you say to teachers, I'm going to drama school, sure, sure, of course you are. When you say yeah. to teachers, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work in radio, sure, sure, of course you are. You know, when you say to your parents, I just want to act, I want to move to London and go to drama school, yeah, of course you do, of course you do. When you are flippant and, and, and people take that on the level, on the top level, they think that's just the kind of person you are. They don't realise how much you mean it and how much, how flinty and, and there's this rock inside you that's like, no, 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 I am actually going to do these things. Um, but all the, all the adults around you, sure, 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 of course you are, of course you are. Um, so yeah, I was always very serious about it underneath, but on the top surface, top of the surface. And I still am like that. I don't take anything I do very seriously. And sometimes to my detriment, I think. Sometimes that can hold, that has held me back in my career. If I, if, if casting directors or agents or producers pick up those vibes from you, they don't take you as seriously. So it's something to be wary of as well as um, to, to do. Because it is quite a useful thing to not take yourself too seriously, generally. I think. So, so was that hard for you then, if you sort of got held back in some ways? Uh, well, everyone gets held back at different times. I think... Um, I think it, it has meant that I still have to convince myself that I can do it to this day because there is no one around me who tells me I can. You know, I don't have, I haven't surrounded myself with people who tell me I'm amazing. And that is out of my choice because I, I think I'd just be uncomfortable with that. Um, so I, I, you know, yeah, it's, it's been a, I remember the first um, big stand-up competition that I did in 2001, the review of me, it was this big, open mic thing and hundreds and thousands of people entered and I got to the last 10 there was a big live show at Edinburgh and it was amazing and um the reviewer reviewed because every, every act in this show got a, like a one sentence review and my review was Tom Price is better than he thinks he is <laughs> and that has sort of stuck with me I think that sums up sums me up quite well actually I probably need to sometimes I feel like I need to recognize that a bit more I think that's quite important to make a note of that even though i see you as successful in yourself and a successful person you still do yeah. have those doubts you still have those insecurities we could call them i think everyone does man and it's very comforting to know that you know anyone listening to this who's got plans who wants to do exciting creative difficult risky competitive things every single person at any level of the tree it's about that bubble rising up. Everyone is nervous. Everyone feels they can do better and get a further level up the Christmas tree. And I think you've just got to enjoy the fact that, and I am really stretching this metaphor to within an inch of its life, but you've got to enjoy the fact that it is Christmas and you are doing it. Even if you're a bauble or a bit of shitty tinsel from the 80s, you've still got to enjoy the fact that it's Christmas and you get to even be in the dining room 
you know, and, and be the central and, and to be doing this thing, whatever it is you choose to be doing, you've got to enjoy the fact that it's happening and don't get overly concerned about, about where you are. You know, I, um, when I first started doing stand-up, we all used to get Time Out, which was this free magazine, which I think still exists in, in one form or another. And um, we all, all the stand-ups used to look at who was doing which gig. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how did she get on there? How's he closing there? How's, how has he got that gig? And if you spend your whole time looking to see who's next to you, looking to see who you've got to elbow out of the way, the whole thing is joyless, you know, really joyless. So you've got to watch out for that. How important is that just to really enjoy what you do and enjoy the moment i just think i think this is a very it's a very timely question at the moment because i'm about to turn 40 in 10 days time and and this is a lockdown thing as well i've had a real real epiphany recently where i feel like i've been very scared i've been full of fear for a lot of my career and a lot of my life and sometimes it's good sometimes that's a good thing because you overcome it and you achieve it and you get an edinburgh show under your belt or you get a big role but it, it, it can take away from the enjoyment. And if you're not enjoying it, there's no point in doing any of these things. And as soon as fear goes away, as soon as you take away your fear, whether it's a failure or in fact, and here's a profound thought of success, because I think I fear success enormously. When you take away that fear, you enjoy everything about it. And I think that you've got to do that for two reasons. Number one, because if you're not enjoying your life, then that's, you know, if you're not enjoying these choices that you put your life into and these creative things you're doing, then that's, that's wrong. You need to make yourself enjoy it. It needs to be enjoyable. But number two, it makes you better. It makes you better creatively um, if you're enjoying it, you know, As, whether you are an architect, whether you are a landscape gardener, whether you are writing a sitcom, if you're not enjoying doing it, you are less creative. And that creative part of your brain has this vice of tension and fear that, that sits around it and you can't grow outside of it like an exoskeleton that just sits on you. And you have to shed that as, as soon as you can. As I completely agree with you, as I've always said, the minute I stop enjoying this podcast, for example, the minute I stop enjoying what I'm doing is when yeah. I'll stop. Because yes. you know, at the moment, I love it. I really do. But if I stop enjoying it, then it won't be enjoyable for my listeners. It won't be enjoyable for the guests. So mm. as soon as I stop mm. enjoying it, then I will just... Yes, but, there, but there is a, there's, a, there's another bit as well, which you need to bear in mind, which is... You need, to take a, you need to take a bigger picture. Like, you know, you're going to have episodes you don't enjoy, probably like this one. You're going, to have, you're going to have moments where you're editing it and you just think, I'm not enjoying this. Don't grab those moments. You know, if you grab those moments and you think, oh, I'm not enjoying it anymore, you've got to think about it in the bigger picture. So I do a podcast as well. And, you know, there, there's plenty of moments there where I'm like, I'm just not fucking enjoying it. I'm not into this at the moment. I'm not enjoying it. I'm not happy. Don't take those in isolation. Think about the bigger picture. and and um, yeah, if you're not enjoying it, it's not very good. Yeah, there's always hard moments. There's always times when you, especially when I, for me, starting off this podcast, yeah. when it's the early days and nothing seems to be going right, then you always think oh, a bit of, what's the point? But you've yeah. got to push through those barriers. If it was easy, then everyone would do it and everyone would be doing it, is what I always say. Well, there's this thing, isn't there? This, um one of uh, President Obama's advisors, they were trying to get some, they were trying to get the um, Obama's, Obamacare through the Senate. And someone just kept saying, this is just so hard. We just, we, we're not going to get this done. It's so hard. And there's one of his main advisors said, yeah, hard things are hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, Very wise it's words for the top of politics. <laughs> right. There you go. Exactly. Hard things are hard, man. You've got to, you've got to keep plowing through. And um, the, the point is though, that there's a danger when you do have your moments when you puncture through and things happen and you have a moment of this has really worked and I've, I've had a great review or I've got a great part or I'm really happy with that job you there's a moment where you can you must enjoy it and it's very hard to say that and you must enjoy this how do you make someone enjoy something and the truth of it is that often the reason we're not enjoying something is because of fear and because of anxiety and so you need to have those how hard was it to get into acting and stand-up there's to be honest you've chosen two of the careers which are the most unconventional and challenging there is well i mean yeah very, they're both very competitive um i have a weirdly i mean again this maybe this 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 contradicts what i've been saying but 
I just sort of know that I can do it. It's a really weird thing. I'm just like, I just know I can do this. I know I've got something to prove. You know, with acting, I've, I got my agent when I first started and I didn't get anything for two years, didn't get any parts, didn't get, I had very few auditions. She, she was, it wasn't working. Then I got one radio show. I ended up doing a radio show for Radio 4 called Rigor Mortis. And I got a new agent off the back of it who was amazing. I met my wife who was fine. Um, <laughs> I, uh, it was obviously amazing. And, um, you know, it, I launched off the back of that really. And, and for those two years when I wasn't really getting anything, I just never, it never crossed my mind. It never crossed my mind that I was going to stop doing it. And only now at, at, at this age, do I have, I do have moments of doubt now, I think. What could I do? What else would I do with my life? You know, that's because I've basically done this for like 20 years. What else would I do? And it's more of a, it's not a doubt. It's just more of an interesting thought experiment. Where would I go? What would please me? Do I get pleased by this? Do, am I fulfilled by doing this stuff? Um, and luckily for me at the moment, I think I still very much am. But if, you know, if I wasn't, what would I do? Um, but certainly back then, there was no question of stopping. That just goes to show how much you wanted it, really, and how focused yeah. you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, I just know, I just knew, I know slash knew that I'm, I'm, I could do it. I just knew I had, a, I knew I had a job to do, and I knew I could do it well. Um, so yeah. So moving on with your acting career, have you got a moment where, where you sort of thinks got the ball rolling, maybe when it sort of kick started? Um. I suppose uh, doing Edinburgh, doing Edinburgh's was very important. Getting mm -hmm. seen in 2003 and four, doing sketch shows and plays. Um, and then starting to, to be taken seriously by casting directors. Um, I think getting tortured was a big moment. That set me up. Getting tortured, that was in 2005 when I got that. And I was in the middle of doing it. I was doing a sketch show for... Um, for, for, for um, Channel 5 at the time. So I sort of bounced out of, I was filming that sketch show one day and I bounced into my tortured audition the next day and I was like, all right, what's going on? It was all very kind of, you know, get in the moment and that's often the key to a lot of my success is when you're just in the moment and you don't have those anxieties. You just bounce around, get stuff done. Um, so yeah, probably getting tortured or getting, but then there's always, the reason I got tortured is because I was doing the Channel 5 thing. And the reason I got the Channel 5 thing is because I had a good Edinburgh. And the reason I had a good Edinburgh is because I worked my balls off on the comedy circuit. And the reason I did that is because, the reason I worked my balls off on the comedy circuit is because I knew I could do it. And just, everything snowballs. And, and yeah. if you're going to take the snowball analogy, when was that first little snowflake falling down through the sky? Probably when I was five years old. So in answer to your question, Callum, my breakthrough was when I was five and decided to be that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that is, I do find it fascinating how everything sort of just happens like that. It just, you got the ball rolling and here you are. So let's talk a little bit or a lot about torture. As I was right. saying to you off camera, if I'm listening to this, to, no. Torture is one of my favourite programmes there is. And PC Andy... Yeah. A, a subtle fan favourite, I describe him as. He's a fan yeah. favourite because everyone, no offence, he'll feel sorry for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that, but I think everyone, everyone connects with that, don't they? I think everyone reflects yeah. on that and thinks they, they see a part of themselves in that. You know, yeah. we've all had moments where we've been um, overlooked or where we've been ignored or where we are the friendly person at the sideline of something much more fun happening in the middle. We all feel a bit like that in life. We all feel like we're looking in. And the more you bring a character like that to life on a TV show, the more you tell everyone who does feel a bit like they're a sidelined character, no, no, it's fine. You are a real person as well. I think that in our, in our celebrity driven superstar crazed way, well recently it's because every character has got depth. And that way you relate to many more characters. And that guy, Andy, is so much more relatable to, actually, than some of the main characters. Because you think, that's me. That is me in the show. So, yeah, it's... But, it, it, I, you know, I can't tell you how proud I am of doing that character. And it's so lovely to hear, Callum, when, when people say they, you know, they liked him. Because it was... Um, well, it is still a lot of fun to do. It was absolutely... You can't really relate to Captain Jack, the alien who can't die. 
and then you can't sure. you know there's so many characters you can't you can simulate to when you got Andy and like you said it's he's the most relatable character there literally mm. is well he what he arrives in a car and he's knackered because he's had to walk and yeah. he's thinking about his lunch and he, he is a day, he's a day-to-day guy he's he is you in that position he's he's what you would be doing and how you would be feeling oh god you know there's not enough of that is there in a sci-fi thing oh someone's no. just going this is ridiculous you know and i do think that actually you, you since uh, what 2010 or so with the marvel films mm. i'm not saying that andy has influenced the marvel universe <laughs> but um i do think that some of the when you see things like guardians of the galaxy and the avengers stuff the, the, the moments where they show main characters with recognisable flaws and feelings about situations that are a bit more low-key and, and a bit more relatable in real life. Um, a little bit of kitchen sink, a little bit of subtlety in a big yeah. universe goes a long way. That's what Andy was doing. Uh, I think it helped that... He was very Welsh. For the Welsh audience, he's the everyone knows an Andy in their life just from that Welshness as well, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, that was, mate, I mean, we've talked about the fact I'm from Monmouth, so I, you know, I, didn't really have, I didn't really have a proper Welsh landscape to draw on, but it's because of this girl I went out with in Blackwood, her dad, right? Is, it, Andy's totally based on her dad, who was a <laughs> chef in a, in, a, in a beautiful restaurant. I don't know if it's still going or not, in, in uh, uh, not Blackwood, Oakdale. Was it Oakwood? O- Oakdale, Oakdale. And, um, uh, and he was just so deadpan and unimpressed. And, oh, you know, and he was, you know, in his own little way, he was putting on a sci-fi show every night because the, the theatre of his cooking, he was an amazing chef, was incredible. And everyone loved it. People came from miles around to go to this restaurant. And he was just a very low-key, deadpan kind of, all right, here we go then. And it was, that's what Andy's doing, really. I've completely nicked him. Yeah. <laughs> What was it like being on the Torchwood set and being part of Torchwood as a whole? Oh, it's such a privilege. It's the privilege of my life to do that. It really was. Just great. Um, so many things jump into my mind. Being on the Universal lot in Los Angeles, Kai playing Manic Street Preachers as loud as he could out of his massive American super wagon, Eve kicking the door of her trailer open as we drove past and standing in full Eve costume pointing a gun at us. A fake gun, I hope. <laughs> to think I ended up there filming under the Hollywood sign for, from what was just a random, very well show was just, it was a magical thing. And um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was too much fun at times. You know, sometimes there was too much nonsense going on on set to the detriment of the show, I think. when Not, not the show, but, you know, there were times when the madness got too much, definitely have you or are you allowed to share any examples of what went on behind the scenes um yeah i mean it's uh i think i think that there were there were (laughs) there were moments where the enthusiasm and the playfulness and those are the those are the engines that drove the spirit of the show the playfulness and and all those little moments they they end up on camera you know, you can get a bunch of actors just doing the lines and that'll do fine. But if you want to give it the X factor and give it that little extra genetic mutation, you need actors to be fizzing. And the result of actors fizzing is that sometimes that explodes. So I think I wasn't actually on it, so I can't comment on it. But there was a scene involving a wedding. There was a couple of long days filming a wedding that went, that went on longer than it perhaps should have due to shenanigans, shall we say. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, have you got a favourite moment, either for Andy or for yourself, off camera? Um, I liked shooting the guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, yeah. I, I had to fly to a and I got to shoot a guy on the floor. Like a, he had like a, a blood thing in the back of his head that had to explode. And I got told before, when you get handed a gun on set, the um, the rules are they have to show you and they have to show you as the person doing the shooting but they also have to show the person being shot the gun is fake and it has no bullets and they, like you yeah. know what i mean so you have to be handed it and you look at it and they go right here you are and they, and they show me a gun i haven't got a clue what a bullet barely what a bullet looks like yeah. i wouldn't have to load this gun but he's like showing me as if i'm gonna go oh yeah that's uh that's a blank that's a blank that's all fine thanks for showing me he could literally have 10 bullets in there i wouldn't have a clue anyway 
So there's this American gun guy. Yeah, he goes, sir, I can just show you this, this, and here. Okay, and you're like, okay, great. Thanks for showing me the gun. And I'd flown all the way to LA. I had a day to recover, and then I had to just walk on set, do this a bit, see a guy go, shoot him, then get on a plane and fly home. Amazing. As easy as that, just shoot Watch someone, in fly home. The, the carbon footprint of that shot. Outrageous. Terrible. It's brilliant. As for me, my highlight was the Children of the Earth episode when it was all the riots and fighting in the council estate and PC Andy takes off his uniform and starts scrapping with the soldiers as well. Yeah, that was nice. I just sort of eat the man out of people. Yeah, I showed my kids that the other day. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, because they just got into Doctor Who. Um, uh, They've just become massive fans. I actually... Um, I emailed Chris Chibnall at the beginning of lockdown uh, a letter from my son because my son's such a massive fan of Jodie Whittaker and Doctor Who loves it and he emailed back and it was beautiful he sent the nicest email and he said your dad is a, um, a really amazing actor and it was amazing because yeah. my son my son looked at me like like <laughs> what? you can't even do five keepy uppies there's no way and I was like yeah I was in the Doctor Who version a kind of Doctor Who show called Torture and he was like I don't believe this. So I had to show him um, a little bit from YouTube. And I show, and it was that bit when Andy's running through the police in Newport. And um, <laughs> it was hilarious because I'm trying to impress my son with what a hero I am by showing him a video of me being completely pathetic and getting beaten up within this, like, <laughs> within five seconds. I've got, like, a fucking thrown to the floor and punched. But um, I think he was impressed. I think he was impressed. Well... He should be, because that episode, I'm not sure what your take on it, but I would still say Children of the Earth, the ending particularly, is one of the saddest moments in TV history. Yeah, yeah, that series, man. Oh, man, that that was... It's one of the... I mean, I love doing series one and two, but what they did for series three was just something else. To, to, To make it into those five episodes... The story was amazing. It was Russell at his top of his game. And he still very much is there at the top of his game. Um, And it was incredible for me personally because it was where everything I'd been doing with Andy came to fruition because they suddenly handed me more stuff. You know, Andy had been popping up. Let's get Andy in. Yeah, all right. Like, it was a bit of fun. And suddenly I was was a, a core part of the story for the first time. And that was, yeah, that was really exciting. So exciting. I remember getting an email from Russell before it happened, before anything happened, saying, you're in, you're on, it's going to happen. I was just so kind of like, you know, and you, on your phone, you get an email from Russell T. Davis saying, can't wait, it's going to be awesome. Um, just, just fantastic. Yeah, it must have felt a bit surreal at times. Yeah. Yeah, it did feel surreal. But, but then, you know what? There's this kind of, <laughs> going back to what we talked about before, I just knew I'd end up there. It's really weird. But it did feel, you do have this sense of, I've always known that, I would, that something like this would happen. And I think that sounds terribly arrogant and terribly entitled and all these negative things, almost terribly privileged, like it was you know, in my DNA to have the right to do something like this. And obviously that's not the case. I worked hard for it and I was lucky. But you have to think like that. So when you get these moments, you have to think, Yep, this is as it should be. And it sound, that makes you sound like an asshole. But that is why when you look at sports stars, you look at especially individual sports stars who play individual games, they're often, not always, they're often not that nice because hmm. they, are in, they have told themselves they are entitled to be the, this, this, in this moment. And, you know, Andy doing these things and get, me getting up to go off to LA and being part of the tortured world I, I didn't get too many moments where I felt this was surreal, actually. The truth of it is, I just got a lot of moments where I thought, yep, yep, good, this yeah. is right. And I think if you want to do well creatively, when the success comes, don't think, yeah, yeah, this is exactly as it should be. Because you've worked for it. It's not like, oh, how did I end up here? You've really worked for this success. So it's you know, all fairness to you. Yeah, because it's part of a, a bigger story. It's part of your bigger story. Look at someone like Michael McIntyre, who I think is a genius. I think he's wonderful. Yeah. And he's, you know, he didn't, he, he didn't win a prize for that career. He spent a long time on the circuit working and, and crafting and getting better and working out how he was good. So, so 
similarly, you know, and, and I say this in full confessional mode because really I, what I should be saying is I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky, but I'm sick of that. And I don't like actors saying that. Actors should be out on those chat shows saying, yeah, I'm really fucking good. Seriously, I'm really yeah. good. It's not very charming. And it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't endear you to an audience, but hopefully your audience, Callum, will know that I'm trying to, I'm trying to encourage people really to, to pursue those things. Don't think that, that, that people who have got to those positions have done it through luck. They've done it through hard work and skill. And, and loads of you listening have got the skill, now apply the hard work and be entitled to it. And this is more important than ever now, post things like Black Lives Matter and the Me Too movement, all these, all these people of color, uh, who have been, you know, ignored and all these things, all these moments that have kept them, you know, not fulfilling their promise. Everyone needs to, they need to have those, that entitlement put in their bones, right? It needs to be there to, to make it all, to make it all happen. That is honestly inspiring. I know my listeners will definitely take something from that. Just I hope so. Being willing hope so. to work. Yeah. yeah, willing to work, but also like, I mean, yeah yeah i mean listen the blm stuff i'm not i'm not qualified to talk about it i'm a very privileged white middle-class man um but i think that that and i know that black people in the creative business especially have to work even harder you know to, to get where i've got to they'd have to work 120 percent, and that is awful and that needs to be changed and we are everyone is doing their best to change it now um but to begin that journey, everyone needs to start feeling like entitled to it. Everyone, no matter what your background, if you've got a dream to do something creatively, whether it's acting or whatever, you are entitled to that. I get on with it. It's that, it's that kind of strength. I think that I'm trying to trying to communicate. And yeah, you're definitely communicating that really well as you're inspiring me by it. I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm not being a very good host. I'm sitting here thinking, wow, that's amazing. I'm more of a, I'm just enjoying it really. Oh, I also go out the window. <laughs> but honestly that is inspiring as for me a little bit our personal story this time last year i was working at mcdonald's with a very bad stutter couldn't say my name in fear and avoiding any speaking situation and this was just 12 months ago and wow. now i'm my god yeah i'm hosting a podcast talking to <laughs> an actor who I watched growing up like it's the most normal thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. But this is what I'm saying. Yeah. And you are, you are, you know, that's exactly my point. Everyone, there's a thing, isn't there, where people say, oh, your dreams can come true. And part of you goes, well, no, it can't because it's a dream. (laughs) Dreams don't come true. And it's like, okay, so let's stop using that language, dreams can come true. It's not a dream. It's just a really great thing that you can do and you can get joy and and experience these moments of your life, whether it's hosting a podcast or getting acting work or whatever it is. Don't think of it as a dream. Think of it as your career and what you want to do. Like, do you know what I mean? I find the dream thing, I find that language limiting somehow because people think it makes it more unlikely. Don't think of it as a dream. Think of it as, yeah, it's a destination. Yeah, absolutely. This is, you know, there's nothing stopping you and that's why i'm very much a stammering and stuttering activist i call myself now because people say oh, i can't do this job i can't do this i'm like if someone with a stutter can host the podcast that's listened to in over 30 countries surely anything is possible Absolutely. so what changed for you then what happened 12 months ago At last september i went on a speech course i went oh. on a three-day course called the starfish project it teaches you a breathing technique and it changed my life but it wow. wasn't those three days. It wasn't, I came home cure. There was no cure, but it was, I came back from the course and for four months, four or five months, I solidly worked on my speech every day to try and yeah. remove the fear of stuttering. And it was, you know, those four months every day working on my speech that got me to this level and always seeking to challenge myself. Like I never thought one day I'll start a podcast. Uh, you know, between us and my listeners, I never even listened to podcasts yeah. or had any interest before, but I was just looking for ways no. to challenge myself. I thought if I can do something that purely relies on speaking and my voice, then yeah, that's really good. Basically, that is that is amazing. I mean, that is absolutely amazing. And the thing you know, to overcome that is is yeah, <laughs> it puts my nonsense acting flim flam into context. It really does, Callum. It's really impressive. It's really impressive. I mean, it's, you know, I still, the, the nerves I still feel 
now going live on air or um, talking to uh, uh, I do a lot of interviews on my magic radio show yeah. and I still get nervous now so the idea of throwing in speech impediments and things like that into the mix and overcoming those things that is impressive but what that means is that now like what do you want to do next so this is an exciting moment for you right it's like oh it is yeah here we go here we go and don't talk about it as a dream think of it as a destination i think that's so important yeah that's what you've got to do like for me i was thinking i will overcome the fear of stuttering i don't mind if i stumble on the odd word or block on the odd word now as long as i'm not holding back yeah yeah when i try hard i can use the technique and speak practically fluently mm. but to, to me it's just about not avoiding and actually hitting things head on and not having regrets like i know if i didn't change something i would have still been working in mcdonald's now hating my job mm. and feeling like i'm gonna be stuck here for the rest of my life yeah yeah god that's so good good for you man good for you it's just amazing so back to you because we got there yeah i don't expect <laughs> a little personal turn but thank you for no no interest. i think that's more i think there's a lot more there there's so much more depth and achievement there i really do it's amazing so how do you find the range of things you do as obviously you've done tv radio plays what's it like acting in all, all these different scenarios because you know it's not the same in each one surely no it's not the same uh i just i just kind of i think as long as you bring yourself as long as you are present in in whatever it is that you're doing and you just you know experience is a big thing doing lots of different things you start to work out what works well failure really helps it's really important to mess things up to stuff things up um all those sort of moments um but yeah no i guy one with ruth jones and it comes back to what I was saying before about fear. And I, 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 I was very anxious on set for a long time. And then I got this gig and I, I it's because I had a kid actually, we just had my first son. And for some reason, there's something about having a child that makes you, it doesn't make you focus, but it makes everything else get put in context. As long as yeah. your kid is okay, I don't really care about anything else. And, and that's quite a positive thing, you know? Sometimes you, you can want things too much. And so I was on set doing Stella and I just thought I don't care about this this is fine and that's not not in a negative way that sounds really negative like I was going oh whatever but I saw I saw the enjoyment rather than the obligation and the fear and the expectation to do well I saw the enjoyment let's just do it let's just do this moment and do these couple of scenes it was just a random day on set and I nailed those scenes because I just lost the worry and I think so whatever it is you're doing you have to take that with you yeah, it's really interesting actually yeah but how do you find that balance getting the work and family life balance um it's it's very very difficult i think that um you've got to have a pretty uh, it's funny to say that i can hear my wife getting back with the dog now she just walked the dog slamming the door uh, because she's had to walk the dog because i'm doing this sorry um no i think i think that that it's a massive challenge and it's it's you just have to have a lot of patience and you have to accept that you often end up doing lots of things and not doing any of them very well you can spread yourself thinly and you sort of think oh god i did that podcast but i was kind of thinking about the fact that i needed to pick up my son and then i was kind of thinking about the fact that i needed to get his skateboard because he's got skateboarding lessons later on but also i do need to send that press release about my podcast like your brain is just stuffed. It's packed full of stuff. And at first, in the first couple of years of having a child and a career, very daunting. And then you just get used to it and you just start to think, oh, well. <laughs> you just get on with it. Momentum carries you forward, to be honest. I can imagine how important or how supportive has your wife been throughout your career? Has she played a role? Oh, She's done stuff, I suppose. Yeah, and <laughs> stuff. I think, um, uh, yeah, of course, of course. But she's similarly, she's creative as well. She's just had her first novel published um, this year, so so we kind of both talk a lot about our different creative projects. She's just talking to me this morning about her third novel, what she wants to do with it, and I'm talking to her about my podcast and also my radio show and what I want to do with that and. It's nice that we're in the same, we're both creatives, but we are not in the, exactly the same wing. You know what yeah. I mean? We're not exactly 
yeah. job so there's not too much it's not like it's competitiveness or not, there would be particularly with that. but um yeah you, you do just the best way you can support each other is just by making your home life as normal as possible and as grounded as possible and nothing else really matters none of this stuff really matters i think that's that's important as long as you know you, you, you I, as long as i can have my evenings in watching telly with her when the kids have gone to sleep and that routine and all that stuff with that comes great sort of the most happiness really and and fulfillment and i think that's the thing about having kids it, it just makes everything else diminish in its importance and it's um through that that you enjoy it more weirdly and it just goes to show again that you're still just a normal family man. You know, it's like an important message is to always stay humble, I think, and you're really broadcasting that now. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I, I just, I think you'll find that with anyone. We're, you know, I'm not David Beckham, but there's a few people. And also, actually, do you know what? Here's an interesting thing. I honestly don't think I'd want superstardom like that. I'm not famous. I don't really get recognised. And, and genuinely, like when I was small maybe I did want that attention and I did want to be recognized. I, I did want to sign autographs, but actually the reality of doing this job is, and this is a friend of mine um, has told me this advice for years. Don't peak, don't have a big job. Don't get the big star of this TV show. Just tick along, just do stuff, get parts, get odds and ends here and there, bits and bobs. And I've always been very bits and bobsy, you know, side hustles yeah. and, and uh, starting a podcast, doing a radio show. Um, I, I direct and, and write, radio sitcoms and having all these different things ticking along is a much more fulfilling way of doing it. Whereas if you have one big thing that explodes you and gives you a profile, God, that ghastly word, a profile, and you've got followers and expectations and you're an influencer. Great. Amazing. But actually vacuous. And everyone I know who is super famous says that like, it's just, it's just meaningless, really, really meaningless. And it looks great from the outside. Uh, but I'm grateful that I, I genuinely am. And this sound, people will think, yeah, you would love to be famous. <laughs> I'd love to have work. I'd love to get some big jobs. Yeah, but I, I yeah. would not. I can honestly say I would not like all the stuff that comes with it. I think that, you know, I did, I did studio warm-up for a long time for Have I Got News For You? Yeah. Uh, for about five years. And I met all of the comics. And I can honestly say I've never met a happy millionaire. Wow. It, 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 it's just extraordinary. All these people coming into the show extremely often extremely successful and weighed down with it weighed down with it none of them very few of them looked free and at ease and there were some obviously who were but comfortable with the weight of expectation and fame a lot of them just looked a bit eaten up by it and that's often chicken and egg often the type of person who becomes famous has that sort of drive and that slightly weird unhappy thing in the first place that gets them to that fame but yeah. also equally being at that level of fame it, it somehow it diminishes their reality and that's a really weird thing to say because i'm sure there are good sides to being famous you know the story of jimmy carr saying on there i'd like a hot tub and the next day someone put a hot tub in his back garden for free you know oh, there's wow. lots of yeah. Yeah, there's loads of stories like that there's lots to be gained materially but it's it doesn't end well those things don't end well so am I right in saying you're happy with who you are and where you are? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I just, I kind of, I want to, I've got, I know what my ambitions are at the moment. I know what I want to do with my radio and with acting, but they don't, they don't possess me. They don't own, own me. They're the ones who have possession. I'm fine with that. Um, and, and you can often talk about these things uh, in this kind of way because I've got a radio show, so I've got an income. You know, I have a regular income from my, my weekend breakfast show, which I love doing. Like, that is just being, I just adore it. The freedom, the creativity, everything that I've done with my career, whether it's writing, directing, acting, all comes to play when I'm doing my radio. But because of that, I've got a contract. I've got regular income. And so it's very easy when you've got that to step back and go, okay, guys, this is all chilled and this is great and I can just let it develop. But trust me, the me of three years ago who did not have contracts and was living from gig to gig and, you know, it's a completely different mindset. You are much more, like you are, you are possessed by it because of the simple financial requirement. You've got to earn some money. 
you know yeah. that does take possession of you and i think that too rarely Callum, when people talk about the experience of being an actor or a writer people talk about money people never seem to talk about money and how what an, an interesting drive that is and how that does drive you creatively because it does personally i've never thought of it like that and it's, as you said it doesn't really get spoken about no it doesn't much. No. No. Nice. interesting no. so what's next for you though um uh what's next for me is i am going to keep doing my radio show um i work on i do a podcast as well called my mate bought a toaster uh where i interview people about their amazon purchase history so we go through oh. we open up their amazon account and and sort of go through it uh i'm doing a lot of work on that at the moment uh which is a lot of fun so i really want that podcast to build and to get a profile um keep doing my radio show hopefully one day maybe move from weekend breakfast to somewhere else i don't know we'll see um and yeah just sort of keep keep on keeping on really um i don't have a there's a story about jimmy carl when he started out he sat down with his manager and he had a big lever arch file and it had a five-year plan in it literally to the month where i want to what i want to be doing and i've never really had that whether or not it's a good thing i don't know but I, I I don't have a five-year plan. I just uh, keep enjoying what I'm doing this week, now, today, this moment, and keep sort of focused on that, really. Can we quickly talk about your podcast? Where did the idea come from? This, and what's the strangest thing you found on someone's Amazon history? Well, this is an annoying one. I mean, you talked about my relationship with my wife and how we support each other creatively. Um, this is, my wife was actually a TV producer for years. She developed TV shows. And uh, this was an idea that didn't make it. Uh, so it's her bloody idea, which is really oh, annoying. Really yeah. annoying. Because every single episode I do of My Mate Bought a Toaster, the guest at some point goes, oh my God, this is amazing. And I'm like, yeah, it's my wife's idea. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very annoying. Uh, the weirdest thing that people have bought, I mean, Nick Helm bought a lot of spam, actual spam during lockdown. He actually got like tins a of spam. Of spam. Tins of spam. That was weird. Okay. Um, We've had uh, Kate Lawler, the radio presenter, bought uh, a hot tub for her friend Alison Hammond. She actually bought her a, a hot tub to go in her back garden. That was a weird one. Um, oh, God, we've had all sorts. Absolutely all sorts. Uh, yeah, I, I can't, I couldn't tell you. There's loads. There's so many. Lots of episodes are available now. Download after you've listened to this. Oh, well, I definitely will because... I think it triggers that natural curiosity a bit, you know, that natural human instinct of wanting to know what other people do and buy. It's like looking through someone else's house. It's that thing yes. that everyone low-key wants to do. Yeah, you're going through their bins. You're going through their bins, and it's, um, it's great fun. And it also, you surprise them because they, they can't believe they bought it. Like um, uh, Carl Donnelly, a brilliant comic, Carl Donnelly uh, bought A Guide to Psychic Touch, which was a book about how to become psychic through the power of touch. Uh, right. which he just I mean it's like um, Ka, um, uh, Carrie Ad Lloyd bought um, Improve Your Handwriting Change Your Life which is one of my favourite self-help books ever conceived um, so you know it, it's it's seeing the truth about people but also seeing crucially seeing the moment that the celebrity or comedian sees their own truth and goes oh my god I, I buy so much peanut butter powder why do I do this like it's that moment of revelation that i love i love that it's so funny that is so brilliant it really does i'm looking forward to listening to that later actually good thank you callum excellent we need listeners good man <laughs> that's no way so as we come to the end now what advice would you give to my listeners and this can be literally anything the floor's open what advice would i give and there's so many different things i would say um I think that that's my, my the, the theme of my life at the moment is fear and overcoming fear and not being scared or worried about stuff and feeling entitled to things. And we've talked about that a lot already, but I think put that in action is one thing. And um, yeah, don't, don't feel let, let's, 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 I'm going to zone in. I'm going to focus in on that dream thing. Don't think of any creative ambition you've got as a dream. That annoys me, that language. It's not a dream, because dreams actually don't come true. Like, thank God, because last night I dreamt that my son had turned into an alligator. So I'm very happy to say dreams don't come true. Um, Think of them as a destination, somewhere you can get to, and it can be done, and and crack on with it. Um, 
so yeah that would be my advice and enjoy it Fuck, i mean god that's something which doing i did stand i was on the stand-up circuit for the best part of 10 15 years and it, if there's one thing that doing stand-up every night teaches you you have to go on stage and enjoy it you have to be you have to turn yourself into this creature who's happy to be there and whatever exercises you can do to make that happen make it happen so whether you're sitting at your desk planning something enjoy it like make it a fun thing um otherwise everything else falls apart i would say i think that's um cracking advice and a really good note to end the show so tom thank you so much for being here you know, i really do appreciate that you know i've wanted you on the show for a while and now you're here so, and yeah it's been really good <laughs> and now i'm going callum this has been so nice thank you very much for having me what a pleasure that's no worries thank you it's been my 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 honor tom price thank you for listening to this episode of the Schofield Stories podcast. Without you, my incredible listeners, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. So I hope you know how much your support means to me. We're on a mission to strike the stigma and unmask masculinity and mental health. And just by tuning in and sharing this podcast, you are playing a key part. Schofield Stories, as always, is proud to support Stop Holding Back personal development charity for people who stepped out, a charity and a cause very close to my heart. Finally, if you want more, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and the official Schofield Stories website, theschofieldstories.com. That's all from me today. I hope you really enjoyed this episode, and I can't wait to speak to you again soon. I've been Calm Schofield. You've been listening to the Schofield Stories. Bye for now.